When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother is bleeding. At least I have a husband, you know. Does anybody here believe it? So this is episode 52, Mm -hmm. which makes it the Nora episode. Okay. Nora is um, Jed Kid number two. Jed Jed. Missionary Jed. The OJ. The OJ. Mm Mm-hmm. Not the not artist Jed. Yes, missionary Jed. Missionary Jed. Mm-hmm. So um, Jed Jed, he just had they just had Nora on May twenty fourth. Okay, so these are some recent ones. So we're really catching up here. If you catch that drift, so that is the Nora episode. Okay. A uh, couple little things. First of all, I have a clarifications corner. New corner, okay. guys. Oh. Not correction, because I feel like it's just... I, I don't feel like it's a full correction. Okay. But last episode when we talked about Terry filing for divorce and it had like the indignities and intolerable. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Jesus, normally you get like the irreconcilable differences. Differences, yeah. Comment, I think it was from some uh, Nikki, I believe. I haven't replied yet, but um, said that apparently that is typical of arkansas verbiage and divorce filings they don't they did away with like the irreconcilable differences and that is typical verbiage so like what i've never heard that in my fucking life Mm -mm. like number one irreconcilable differences is just like what you hear there's a few others you pop up here i mean across the board though it's pretty much irreconcilable differences it's pretty rare that you even hear one of the other options correct but even with those other options in the ring i have never heard like intolerable and indignities no in no. my life so interesting it seems really to, dramatic very so just interesting to find out that that's kind of an arkansas thing. and i don't know where else that apl- applies but clarification wow. that is typical of arkansas divorce filings so if we ever see a dugger divorce <laughs> be prepared maybe we'll see some indignities and intolerables you know or uh she wore shorts yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole reason. It's a whole box. Those are, those are grounds it's for whole, divorce. It's a whole box you can check. Um, another thing I would like to point out my lack of crying for several episodes. Think about it. When was the last time I cried? Hmm. I know the last time that you made a comment was when I started to and I don't even know what episode this is, so I'd have to mm-hmm. go back. I haven't even updated my tear tracker. Because I, have, I haven't been doing that lately. But my tear tracker, I need to go back and see so I can get a new record. Because it feels like a long time. Okay. Because the last time I even remotely did was when you were like, oh, there she goes. But I remember it was just because I was talking about being appreciative to everybody. 
mm-hmm. like listeners. Yeah. And I'm like, does that really count? Because <laughs> it wasn't even a full cry. It was just like a. But anyways, I just want to point out it's been a long time since I've cried. So okay. we have we're on a track here. We are tear free. Wow. Also, I uh, just want to mention last episode we talked a little about. Um, my love of Grey Gardens and Big Edie and Little Edie mm-hmm. came up because of Amy and Deanna. Right. But I love those I love those movies, the documentary <laughs> and the movie. But I had a realization this week that Mildred and I might be headed toward a Big Edie, Little Edie situation, if not already there. <laughs> okay, so can you... <laughs> Can you give a little context to people that don't know anything about Grey Gardens? Give us the the small recap. I mean, it's just like, it's a mother and her daughter, adult daughter, but like mother and daughter, and they're in this old dilapidated house. It's gone to shit around them. They're surrounded by like stray cats. (laughs) And it just like their house has gone to shit, but they're very, they're kind of codependent and it's just the two of them and then their own little world. And then like, then I'm just like, wait, me and Mildred are alone together all day in this house. (laughs) I mean, she is a cat, so I can't even just be like, just surround. Like, she is a cat. <laughs> and, like, there's this whole, like, I'm giving, like, I think of this one scene where she's like, I'm giving up, and I'm not doing anything for anybody, or something like that. She's like, well, except for mother and the cats, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like you, yeah. But on top of that, so normally on Tim's days off, we kind of do everything together. But the last couple, I've had to go do things, run errands. I was meeting with a friend one day. Mm-hmm. So normally we'd be leaving the house together, but Tim has been at home mm-hmm. while I leave and describe Mildred while I'm gone. I always text and say that Mildred's just standing in the middle of the kitchen screaming. <laughs> screaming is how he describes it. Yeah. And what it is is she doesn't have a voice, so she doesn't meow in the traditional sense. She kind of quacks, and sometimes ah. she doesn't make any noise. Yeah. Sometimes it sounds like she's um, eating an apple. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like air is escaping, like multiple things. And what we realized is when we take her to the vet and we get her in the car, it sounds like a like my throat hurts. Would you like to to imitate? Oh, I don't know if I can do it on the point, but it's like, ow, ow, yeah, ow, yeah, like, because but, she's but not like, really meowing, but, but it's the noise pushing, that's underneath. She's it. pushing so hard, like it sounds like it's just like grating her voice box. Yeah. And it's painful. And we're always like, you're fine. And then she just does that the entire drive to the vet. I posted it one time in stories Mm -hmm. for people to hear. Yeah. So when Whitney leaves the house, she stands in the middle of the kitchen and goes, and she'll just stand there. And then I'll look at her and be like, Mildred, what? And she'll look at me and then turn back to the openness of the kitchen and go, like she'll do she'll do that until whitney gets home and it's not food (laughs) because i fed her thinking maybe that'll just kind of distract her and shut her up (laughs) she went right back to screaming in the kitchen we we got a big edie little edie situation going on here (laughs) i'm the big one At least, you know, you know what? I'd rather be Little Lady. At least she still wore nice skirts and scarves. There's this whole thing where she's like, and here's my skirt. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather be Little Lady, but here we are. I'm Big and, Edie. And which one did, you said Drew Barrymore Drew was Drew Barrymore the... was Little Edie. Jessica Lang was Big Edie. Ooh, that would have been good. Jessica Lang, 
Jessica Lang has that amazing I don't know why I'm going on a Jessica Lang thing, but I always feel like she has enough acting chops to be really endearing, really fucking conniving or kind of creepy. Oh, she's amazing. One of my favorite thing obviously she's an American horror story and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite things ever that Tim and I like, oh, we watched it every Sunday. I loved the Joan versus Betty feuds. Yeah, incredible. With her and Susan Sarandon. Oh, mm-hmm. fucking amazing. But yeah. anyways, so <laughs> she gets to be uh, she gets to be Drew Barrymore. I'm Jessica Lang. I'm okay with the Jessica Lang portion of it, but Big Edie <laughs> leaves a little something to be desired. But oh, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that like I had that realization after talking about this week. I'm like, we might be on that road if yeah. not there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, and I had another thing, but maybe I'll not do it. That's okay. We've talked long enough. All right. You ready to roll? I am. Okay. So this episode is called Duggar's New Editions. Spoiler alert. It's not a baby being born. Oh, I thought it was a math episode. Oh, they don't do math. Remember, it's not in wisdom booklets, except for a (laughs) board problem here and there. And if you just, you know, just enough to learn some cooking and that's it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So Duggar's New Editions premiered on September 15th of 2009. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want to say, I cannot express enough how disappointed I am yet again with the lack of diligence regarding these DVDs. Rough. We have been flipping back and forth between disc one and disc two for five episodes. Oh, yeah. it's It wasn't just one mistake. It's been back mm-hmm. and forth, back and forth to mm-hmm. keep in line with actually how it premiered on TV all over the fucking place. Someone is... was not very diligent. <laughs> this is something for a reminder of the pre-streaming days where the DVDs sit in the actual case if you take them off it's clear and you can see the back of the liner and it has a list of every episode that is on what disc i've been having to look at that before i just put the disc in yeah it's just it's so wrong but but like that's because but you can't go off of the disc because what's next in line you have to go off of online it's a fucking mess quite frankly i am appalled (laughs) whoever they hired was not very diligent. And side note before we start real quick, the reason why that's so big into my head is like the weird pre-streaming days is that I've had, a, as I've gotten to know my crew a lot more, I've realized there's things that some of them are even too young for. I brought up CD liner notes, like when you would buy a CD and it had the booklet and the booklet had like pictures and the lyrics. Yeah, I love them. There was also an era of CDs where they kind of stopped packaging that stuff because it cost money. Um, I made that comment to one of our cooks, and he kind of looked at me confused, and I was like, what? And he was like, chef, I was born in 2002. (laughs) 2002? There are people born then? Like, you know what I mean? It kind of just makes me... (laughs) Yeah, I think it's funny. for us. Like, I, like I think there's that. Oh, like oh God, we're old anyway. But we don't have children, so I yeah. feel like there's this whole like oh God, there are people born. At that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like obviously we know it. I'm not yeah not that dumb. But it's just like kind of like oh God, like you just kind of forget that there's this whole fucking disconnect. And it's mm-hmm. like God, you're young, aren't yeah. you? You little whippers. Like somebody else. Like in some ways, I feel like my older sisters are more hip than me. Because of their children. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, like, they're talking about stuff. I'm like, I have no 
fucking clue what you're talking about. And my sisters are nine and twelve years older than me, but because <laughs> of their children, they know, and I'm like, nope, have no fucking clue what anybody's talking about right now. <laughs> Anyways, <sighs> so the episode begins with Cannon saying. We met the Wilsons through our church fellowship and just fell in love with the family. Mm-hmm. So. Hopefully they courted first. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. No dating. Uh, so, as you might imagine, the Wilsons are, they're not heavy in this episode, but Mm-mm. they make an appearance yet again. No banjo. No banjo this A little this disappointed time. there was no, no banjo. I, no eye pray shirt. I can't remember if we brought that up last time, but the yeah. one had the eye pray. Um, <laughs> nothing like that. Nothing. No. no. So between Michelle and Clark, they kind of rehash how they bought the kits to build the Tater Tot Mansion and that they ended up calling Clark to help them out. Mm-hmm. But they still, after three and a half years, haven't ever done anything with the backyard. So the Wilsons are there to help them pour a porch and a basketball court. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I said, they've been wanting it for three and a half years. But I guess it didn't like Gil Bates itself into existence. <laughs> so they've been waiting and, yeah. you know, or like whatever. And it never showed up in their driveway mm-hmm. or, you know, in their backyard. Yeah. So they're like, oh, okay, I guess we finally got to. Might as well do it ourselves. Guess we got to do it. God's not going to pour the concrete for us. That's true. But They're man, have... if God could. <laughs> so they, but you know, there's another thing. I remember the them talking about like in one of their books about needing like, um, like dirt to put down on their land, mm-hmm. and like they just couldn't afford it. And like somebody be like, "We have all this extra dirt," so it kind of was like a yeah. the story of like, "We have all this. Would you like it?" And so they were probably <laughs> waiting for like an extra cement truck to be like, "Hey, we have all this cement. Would you like it?" But didn't happen. They'd be like, well, we, it'd be like our niece. Well, we sure would like a basketball court, but we can't can have we? one, can, can we? we? <laughs> yep. So they give the Wilson family the boys' dorm. So mm. Clark calls it, it's kind of like our little apartment. <laughs> and then the Duggar boys, they sleep in the bus. But Clark says before they had the bus, the boys just kind of camped out in the living room or anywhere else they could find a place in the house yep they asked clark like production um they ask him why they like to help the duggars and he says it feels like our part of their ministry Mm -hmm. and we just are grateful and blessed to be able to help them and they are such a blessing to us all the time and denise kind of chimes in and talks about how they're such an encouragement to them yeah you know Mm -hmm. Lots of encouragement, lots of diligence, lots, yep. you know, mm-hmm. all those buzzwords in IBLP, if you will. So can we put the diligence bingo square? Wait, no, when did she say diligence? You said like those buzzwords. Oh, she didn't say she that. Didn't that was say that. Spell. That was okay. me. I was, yeah, oh, no. Okay. Never mind. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, no. Um, yeah. So she just talks about encouragement. I was just mentioning that there's those words the you hear words, okay. over and over. So next scene, we have Michelle over the intercom telling the kids how none of them are allowed outside as the concrete is wet. Um, basically, she just doesn't want anybody to fuck anything. I mean, can you just imagine all those crotch goblins just like piling out there and not realizing what they're doing? And then all yeah. of a sudden they're messing it all up. Mm-hmm. So, 
but it's just funny to hear on the intercom daddy says no going outside today the concrete is wet you put creepy like music box music behind it it's a trailer for a horror movie yeah pretty much (laughs) then it shows toddler jennifer like holding and kind of snuggling baby jordan and the camera guy asks do we have a buddy in training and Jana says, yes, uh, she likes taking care of her. But I just kind of point this out because I always find it interesting when you hear the crew y- use, their ver- use their verbiage. Oh, okay. I just notice it. I feel like I like I like ping to it where he's just like training it, a buddy in training. It's like, oh, they like they that's that's what it is. This yeah. is a buddy. I don't know. Maybe it's not that interesting to other people, but they're like, well, oh, I, a I kid like taking used- care of a kid. There's your buddy. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're used to hearing the. You just know that the cameramen aren't involved in this whole system other than observing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Then we get a um, a glimpse of a lost boy being feral, <laughs> and he's like, "It look what it it looks like he's gnawing on the rubber foot end of a crutch." Yeah. Like he has it in his mouth. We later see that it's because he's trying to raise it. Yeah, like where you press in the little dimple and then you can make the the little rubbery foot higher or lower. Yeah, but in the moment, it just, it literally looks like a fucking kid gnawing on a crutch. And you're like, what are you (laughs) doing? What is this feral animal like doing? Like, it's just like, and they kind of like, like sort of zoom in and they're just watching him like gnaw on this rubber that's been on this floor. We've seen... The cleanliness of the floors. Yeah. It was it was just funny because it's just one of those weird things you do as a kid that you're like, you think back or you look at it and you're like, what the fuck was I doing? I'm gnawing <laughs> on the rubber foot of a crutch. <laughs> it's pretty gross. I think it was Jason. Like, yeah. I think like it was the, Jason. They showed him a lot in this episode kind of just being a, a boy. And then uh, Cinder Jana says, Johanna's getting sick. I think she's wanting to let everyone know. Yeah, it was sad. But it feels a little dismissive in that comment. But I'm gonna, (laughs) I'm gonna move past. I'm gonna just attempt. But it feels like a little Uh. bit like here she goes. But our Johanna, our poor girl, she's kind of burying her face in the couch and crying, and then she starts coughing. Mm Mm-hmm. And she did one of those cough that sounds like a cough burp. Yeah. And that sent. I have. I have a phobia of vomit. Mm-hmm. So that set my phobia into fucking panic, and it it freaked me out. Um, I don't know. That's just, it's just that type of cough burp that sounds like something's gonna come with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It you heard it right? I mean, oh like, yeah. Okay, so it wasn't just me. And then I saw Joe Jana with Johanna in front of a toilet, and that was enough for me, and I had to fast forward. Okay. Did you watch that whole thing? Yes. Uh, did I? What happened? They never showed anything. They just showed um, uh, our girl crying. And Jana was like patting her on the back. She wasn't hunched over anything. It looked like if anything had happened, she had stood up. Um, So she was completely upright and she was crying. And Jana was just kind of giving her a supportive little tap on the back. They never showed anything. You didn't really hear anything other than her crying. And I think like one cough and that was Either it. way, all I like is say, give the girl some fucking privacy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> if she is throwing up, like I, this, 
it was hard to tell if, if there was an actual stomach bug or if she was just coughing and then because of the so coughing, much. Jana was like, maybe we need to take you to the toilet or something like that. But either way, give the girl some fucking privacy. Do you need to film while she's standing in front of the toilet, maybe about to throw up? Which is interesting. Is it an age thing? Because I feel like reality, and this is in heavy quotes, reality TV is there to catch moments. And I feel like with other subject matter, you're like looking at every little bit of these things. And is it because I'm just curious. I just don't think anybody needs to have a fucking camera on them when they're throwing up. Tell that to the real world cameraman. I agree (laughs) even then. Nobody needs to see that. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> but especially for a little kid like give her the fucking space like she's a little kid who has no choice in any of this anyway let's let her not be sick on fucking camera like literally get physically sick on camera mm-hmm. so Jana said something is going around and johanna must have it friends of theirs had it apparently and i guess it's highly contagious she talks about how with sickness it you know tends to start with the little kids because she says because of like sharing cups and things, but let's face it, because they're fucking gross. Little <laughs> kids are gross. I feel like even parents of little kids will admit their kids are gross. I love it when a parent will actually say that and be like, oh, and I know my kids are disgusting. I'm like, thank you. Just say it. Like, I have a cook at work disgusting. that did that. They're disgusting. And we were talking about how he was sick and then his wife was sick and then they realized it was because their daughter was sick and then they both got better and then they got sick again from her and he was like kids are gross and i'm like (laughs) well i guess for them it's by the so it starts with the little kids because they're disgusting and then by the time it makes its way through the family janice says that it's probable that the little kids will get it a second time well, there's so many I of mean, them. Can you like, imagine a fucking stomach bug going through that? Fa- My fucking nightmare <laughs> would be in being in that home with a stomach bug going around. Can you imagine the horrors you must see and hear and smell? I would have to be fucking institutionalized. I can't do it. I feel like viral, like virologists, could study. The way things pass between people just because there's so many damn people in their household. God, and like Tim, Tim is a Tim's a sweetie pie. You're a little sweetheart. He tries very hard to mask when he's he's only been sick. Probably in our 14 years together, he's only been stomach sick a couple of times. Yeah, but I know instantly because he goes and he like pulls the water full blast on like a shower or something (laughs) like on the tub. And I'm like, he's throwing, but he's trying to mask it. So I don't hear it because he knows I'm in here like freaking out because of my phobia. But like, can you imagine being surrounded by 20 people and that happening? (laughs) And so many of them being little kids. Could you imagine spending that much time in the house with the Duggar family? Oh God. And then they're (laughs) sick. God. If I were Wilson, I would have left. I would have packed up fucking now and left. The fact that they're there during all of this. I saw a kid in front of a toilet. I'd be like, we're leaving right now. <laughs> no amount of ministry and fucking fellowship could keep me for a second in that Petri dish of fucking disease. It's disgusting. <laughs> Anywho, um, Now, Lego asks Joy what she thinks about making a giant slip and slide. Mm-hmm. So they have this like plastic lining left over from construction. So they roll it down their big hill and John David digs it out. Um, like he, he digs out a hole 
what is that like, a backhoe? like the backhoe yeah backhoe mm-hmm. so he digs a hole kind of like as the like the landing pit type yeah. thing mm-hmm. and we finally get a fucking square i mean this is a a bare bare bones it is barren but we do get a at some point there was a cell phone belt clip i didn't write it somewhere in there but we get a jd speaks because he says this is a redneck water slide right here mm-hmm. i also would like to point out that when he was walking towards the edge of the hill with the plastic runner he also had a new hose oh it had the new. white zip ties like all around the ring like when you buy a new hose Hmm. We are the outers of new items. Not used. We are Just putting that out there. We are here to out them one you know how, by one. Shovels, hoses. You know how much uh, difference they saved? None. None. <laughs> Not a fucking cent. No difference to be saved. <laughs> so the hole is now dug and they have the hose, their new hose, if you will, and dish soap. Hose. <laughs> yeah, that's a throwback to yep. when he's like, hose? And she's like, well, ladies, hose. And he's like, hose? <laughs> so they have their dish soap and um, they've now changed into their modest swimwear. So they're ready to go. This is the first time I've really seen it over and over again. So You saw it on But there Anna. wasn't, yeah. You saw it on Anna yeah. for their honeymoon. But there wasn't a lot of like show of it so this was the first time i saw a lot of it but regarding the slip inside i will say it looks pretty fun it does look fun i wrote that yeah and even lego gets in on the action and he's going down um even holding like a camera and stuff you know dugger cam it doesn't say dugger cam this time but it's dugger Mm -hmm. cam and we see an older wilson girl girl i said that word girl your girl girl um jana and jessa Looking pretty uninterested in participating, and they're mm-hmm. just kind of watching in their regular clothes and, you know, holding a baby because, you know, that's what Go they figure. do. And they're just kind of watching. And then we see Jill and a different Wilson girl. They kind of crack the seal and they start being ones mm-hmm. to start, you know, engaging in the sliding. Yep. So Jill is describing the wholesome swimwear and how they ordered them online. Again, new, 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 new. <laughs> and she says, they're modest, kind of pauses, modern, question mark. <laughs> Which if you remember back when Jessa said that, remember yep. when she was comparing like the Western wear of the Bates and she's like, mm-hmm. we're more like, they always say it in this question mark tone. That's <laughs> because why they're I, not sure. That's why I wrote it because I'm like, Jessa also, do you remember, Jessa made the face where she was like she modest, scrunched up. modern. And even Jill was like, they're like modest modern and i'm like you guys are just like really trying to make this happen but even you aren't sure if you believe this yep exactly and uh yeah it's just kind of funny because the inflection is just very like is it though like even from jill (laughs) and it's kind of funny because she starts pointing at the camera and she says you get more for your money more material than what most people get and she kind of like laughs so i think that is pretty funny like it's kind of cute i think that and i think that counts as like a little dweebiness i don't is that dweeby though i I think it was because you could see her like trying i'd say that is it dweeby 
I mean, I'm on I the think spec- so. And I'm the on thing the spectrum. Is- it's not an insult. I understand. No. Dweebiness is not an insult. I say 100% her dweeb is showing, and I think it's fantastic. It is endearing. I think it was funny, but I'll I definitely go- feel. I'll go with it. I don't find it that dweeby, but I'll go with it. <laughs> I think it was just kind of funny. It was mostly the comment about getting more material for your money. It was the like, way she points, though, too, where she was just like, you get more material. She's yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was it. a good scene. Can I make a comment about the boys' swimwear? Oh, yes. They get to... Yes, go ahead. So, obviously, they're not in, like, swim trunks and, like, shirtless, like you would assume people swim or, like, in a tank top or whatever it is, but... They were wearing shorts. They were wearing like surf suits, but the short version. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Like everything about that they were like wearing shorts was weird to me. But it also reminded me of like turn of the 1900s swimwear where it was kind of just a onesie with shorts. Like that was the old swimsuits. You know what I mean? Like in the old goofy cartoons, it also felt like that. (laughs) But those were always striped. Those were uh, That's true. This, this wasn't a solid stripe. It was no. uh not as endearing. Goofy, but, he pulled it off. Well, yeah. One of my favorite old goofy cartoons was where he's l- trying to swim when they're all at the beach and he's trying to swim and he finally gets on the surfboard and he's riding the wave and then the wave drops off and turns into a hand and it like grabs his surfboard from underneath him and like hits him like a tennis ball. So we have a ornament of that. God, I love that. Yeah. Any huzzle. Now you said it. Mm-hmm. Huh. So Cannon comes out. I see. I switch back and forth. I don't say it every time. Do you notice? <laughs> it's like I feel like I know the more time that passes in between things, mm-hmm. like when we go more off tangent, usually it goes to any any huzzle, and then the in betweens <laughs> are just kind of like anyway. Yeah. It's funny. Like my brain like gauges gave, time. Yeah. Exactly. Anyways. See, that wasn't anyways. See? Hear that? So, Cannon comes out and Lego gives her a tight lip lock. Yep. Another space. And she immediately starts wiping her face afterwards. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I know clearly it's because he's wet and soapy, but it, it's fun <laughs> to pretend it's because she's repulsed by him, right? <laughs> that's a, That's more fun. Right. And then Jason kind of... Um, he kind of interrupts them all excited and he's like, I don't have to take a bath from my poison ivy anymore. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, and I mean, was this kid just fucking rolling in poison ivy and carrying on about his day like normal? <laughs> now he's like, No, I don't have to take a bath for it. Like oh, it's just man. funny. And Michelle is all, Yeah, what do you know? <laughs> but like he's just like oh take a bath i mean we talk about like you know there's like the summer bath where it's like you go swimming and you count it as a bath but i'm like these people are just like oh i just rolled the poison ivy now i went down the slip and slide everything's fine fine. yeah he was so excited about it it was hilarious (laughs) then lego starts telling the kids to gather because they have an announcement gee i wonder what it could be (laughs) Cannon says that she was been she's been dieting to try to lose weight and it just wasn't coming off and that mm-hmm. when she nursed Jordan Jordan was starting to get fussy and that when that happens usually it means that her milk has changed which usually means she's pregnant. 
<laughs> I'm dying from not surprise. Not surprise. So she didn't even say anything to Lego and says she just, she really didn't think she was pregnant. I mean, sure, Michelle. Um, <laughs> and that, you know, it's probably just her age is what she says she thinks. But she took a test in the middle of the day thinking it might, it would be negative. But it wasn't. What? Uh, and then randomly in this, I'm just putting in kind of like parentheses. We randomly see Lego pulling Jana down the slide. Mm-hmm. So she has changed into her hole somewhere. Yep. And she is now engaging in the sliding and her father is yanking her down. Oh, that dad. Um, so back to Cannon. She says Lego was so excited and couldn't hold it in, so he told the kids that day. So they announce it, like as if somehow the kids don't exactly what's coming, you know, like. <laughs> but anyways, um, by saying, the way they do it is by saying, Nin-, Lego goes, 19 kids and counting, and he plants another lip lock on Cannon. Mm-hmm. She doesn't wipe it away this time, unfortunately. <laughs> There was, in this part when he was saying certain things, there was some adoring gaze. Oh, was there? Yeah. And it was just normal. Whenever he's talking and she's standing next to him, she's like, nope, nope, gotta look at him adoringly. Yep. So they announced this and the kids are excited. I mean, I guess. I I don't (laughs) know. You know what I mean? I'm just kind of like, okay. Like, they do the thing, but like, I mean, whatever. But Jessa, this is what I find funny. She says she wasn't expecting it. She thought he was telling them he ordered an ice machine. <laughs> she also had hard Jessa face in this. <laughs> and I really wish that we had done Ginger or Jessa face as the as the spot. But yeah, there was hard yeah. Jessa face in this. Um. So yeah, she thought <laughs> maybe he was machine. ordering it. But you know, a sibling instead, I guess. Uh, I would rather take the ice machine. And that's machine. what I'm at. I mean, you can't. They they can't have more than two ice machines right now, right? I'm just and I'm just saying maybe like one in a refrigerator, one over here. They couldn't have more than two, but they have fucking eighteen kids. So the ratio you, is off. What do you think is the higher priority right now? Another fucking kid or another ice machine? I'd go with the ice, personally. So I'm with Jessa. I would be hoping for the ice. I'm like, oh, but I I guess a sibling is fine. So Lego says. You know, that should be her new, the next kid's nickname. We'll just be like, well, you know, that little ice machine. Little ice machine over here. So Lego says, well, I think we surprised them. She surprised me earlier. She pulled out this little uh, test tube. And Cannon is like, pregnancy test. (laughs) This little test tube. It's like 18 kids and he's calling it a fucking test tube. Oh, my goodness. She's like, pregnancy test. (laughs) Oi. The end of this episode was so cringy. <laughs> and then Cannon gets on the phone, and she's still outside, so she's on a cell phone, and she gets on the phone, and she's calling to tell Josh and Anna, turns out Joy already told them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Joy says, well, when mom and dad were out here telling everybody, right as I heard, I was like, oh, yeah, I should tell Josh and Anna. So I went and called them. And and I just crack up to myself because that is 100% like total little sister energy right there. <laughs> I mean, I can relate. I'm the youngest of four. If anybody knows fucking little sister energy, it's yeah. me. Like, I feel like you... And here's the thing. All of them are little sisters minus Jana, right? Mm-hmm. But I still think that there's a difference 
and like there's the older girls and then joy is kind of like the first of the little sisters do you Mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah and i just feel like when you're a little sister you're like fucking primed out of the fucking (laughs) womb to just be like a family busybody because you want to be involved like it's just uh, it's just it's it's too weird i get it Mm -hmm. and i literally it reminded me of thinking of my oldest sister getting engaged to the point where i text her to be like can you clarify that i'm remembering i have a memory of spying on her and her now husband then boyfriend in front of our christmas tree and him like proposing to her Mm -hmm. i like i was fucking spying and I remember watching it happen, and then I just start, like, running around the house trying to fucking find anybody, which I think is a normal reaction to an engagement. Right. But still, just hearing this story reminded me of, like, that little sister energy, <laughs> like, fucking spying on your sister. Even if, yeah. like, you know. And so I text her, and I was like, hey, did did he propose? To you? Just re- remind me. Am I correct? Did he? And she tells me, no, 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 no big propo- proposal. But that's when I got my ring. And I'm like, that's still a fucking proposal. <laughs> so she's she says it is like oh that wasn't so maybe they've discussed it or like whatever mm-hmm. and by the way my sister was like fucking seven she got married at 18 almost 19 so if this was a year prior she was like 17 almost 18 mm-hmm. very young but um yeah so i'm like no that still counts because if you're getting the ring yeah. and she and she even said and somehow it seems like mom and dad knew and they had grandma and grandpa coming over that night or something like that. I don't remember that. I just remember lo- running around the house looking for fucking anybody to tell. And nobody was around. And then our second oldest sister walking in the door. And then when she found out, like, she started screaming. I'm like, that's a fucking proposal. If everybody's finding out and, like, screaming, it's a proposal. But I felt like she was trying to downplay it in our text. But, um, but yeah, anyways, that's a long way of saying is, like, I can relate to that fucking energy of just, like, mm-hmm. it's my job to tell the people. <laughs> You were primed to be a fucking family busybody. That's pretty funny. It's in your DNA. She's also the, up until the younger girls, it's all the lost boys, right? Like yes, after she's her? in the sea of lost boys. Like it's all the lost boys. So I feel like in her kind of like age bracket, she's the, like you said, she's, she's the yeah. only one. Yeah. She's in a very interesting position. And then there's like the little girls towards the end. Yeah. We got the Johanna, Jennifer's, you know, Jordans and then mm-hmm. to come. But it's like, yeah, Joy's in a very specific area where she's like, she's full blown little sister mode. Yeah. And, so funny. Anyways, <laughs> that was a long thing. But I was just like, yep, I felt that oh, in that moment where I was just like, I was a joy. <laughs> like, <laughs> so the cameraman says to Lego, you really know how to keep the series going, Jim Bob. And he does that laugh that's sort of reminiscent of my father that I've talked about before. Mm-hmm. It's the through the nose. Yeah. You know what the I mean? The one where he's slightly embarrassed. It's the through the it's like a scrunchy mm-hmm. nose. Yep. Slightly through the nose and kinda uh-huh. like <laughs> 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 kinda like that. Oh man. So then he awkwardly puts his arm around John David. Oh poor John David. Oh man, this <laughs> is <laughs> rough. <laughs> Uh, he puts his arm around John David and tells him how Michelle took him to the bathroom and, you know, he they were talking about something else. And then suddenly she says, you're a father again. And I, I couldn't believe it. I, I w- it wasn't even on my radar screen. <laughs> and um, then he goes into this. This is really neat, John. You're a good big brother, John. It was so <laughs> awkward. It was 
awkward. And poor John is just like looking down the entire time. Like he doesn't seem like that type of guy anyway that wants to have this moment. And then there's a camera like right on him. I feel like the entirety of that needs to be included in the visuals this week because it is... It's gnarly. Yeah, this is a really neat, John. Uh, you're a really good big brother. And he's like, okie doke. <laughs> oh, it was so hard. And then they ask, what do you think, John? So he finally looks up and he says, um, it's very exciting, you know. I'm convinced. <laughs> like, are you convinced? Because I'm convinced. Oh, man. <laughs> right? Oh, it was oh, it was very, so bad. I mean, how, like, how can we expect these kids to keep being excited? I mean, <laughs> she. I mean, it's no ice machine, <laughs> but I guess a sibling will do. Oh, John Davis, like, he's probably hoping for some sort of like um, equipment. You know? Yeah, yeah. He was just like, oh, I thought we were getting a insert. You know. A new backhoe or, a, you know. <laughs> they were getting that new snow plow we were all excited about. Exactly. But I guess a sibling will do. Oh, man. The only thing that would have made it funnier was like a tumbleweed rolling in between their conversation. Because it was, there was a lot of empty space there. <laughs> <laughs> Poor John. And like, uh. he's just, like, you just look at him and you're like, you're not this guy, period. No. You don't want the attention. You don't Mm-mm. really want to be on camera. No. You, you, he just is, oh, God. <sighs> Poor <Yeah>. guy. <laughs> and then Canon ends the episode by saying, is in the hands of God as far as we're concerned. By his grace, I'll carry a baby. And by his grace, I'll give birth to the baby. And by his grace, we'll be able to take care of that child. However, that works out. And just so everyone is tracking, this now means that Anna and Cannon are pregnant at the same time for a mm-hmm. period of time. So. Yep. I put a note that, like, I have my dad's youngest sibling is the same age as nephews that he has. Yep. So. He, he's got, the, they went to high school together. Yeah. And, like. His aunt, no, his cousins, right, his, Tim's cousin's wife, as far as I'm concerned of what I've heard, I don't know if she dated or had a crush on, but Tim's uncle, just to yeah. put that into perspective. <laughs> like, there yeah. was a weird thing where there was, like, I can't remember if, like, I don't think they full-blown dated, right? I don't think they I dated. Think it was I just, think like, she just I think she, him. like, noticed him, and then later on it was, like, oh, and then she, so it, it's just funny. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's a... Because they all went they, to high school together. Is because the point. The, yeah, because there's like two cousins and then an uncle that all went to high school together, and like the like the those f- everybody knew each other. Like that was that thing. So yeah, so it's just these total. So like Tim's dad has this sibling that he never was never like a sibling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it yeah. Was, like I mean they never were in the same household together, right? Your dad mm-hmm. was much older by that time it's, it's yeah. not just that it's just not the typical mm-hmm. situation kind of yeah. father of the brightish well like we always talk about like your oldest sister like a lot of your really formative years she wasn't in the household yeah my sister know. got married and moved out when i was in december of my first first grade i was six years old mm-hmm. but it's a combination of us being 12 years apart and my sister getting married and moving out at 18 very quickly so it's like this extreme mm-hmm. situ- you know, yeah. situation 
which is funny because she's my closest sibling now. <laughs> but yeah, funny how that works out. And then when our our one of our niece uh, nieces, the one that listens to this podcast, you were babysitting her, and it was so there was this really almost like big sister older yeah. sister like energy in their relationship even though that was Whitney's niece yeah so I was nine but we babysat her five nights because my brother-in-law worked during the day and went to school at night and then my mm-hmm. sister worked at the Clinique counter at the mall at night <laughs> so we watched her like four or five nights a week mm-hmm. so then she was the closest I ever got to having a sibling because ever since I was nine years old I was you know hanging out yep. with her at night so mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's kind of like, we've got a combination of, I've got maternal feelings because I feel protective of her like a mother, but then mm-hmm. you've got that auntie energy where you're kind of like, the fun you got to do the extras. <laughs> and then she's kind of like my little sister from the early years. It's yeah. like, we got this mix. And then now because she's an adult, she's my friend. So it's like, we've got yeah. all these mixes mm-hmm. of things. So it's yeah. just funny. The Clinique counter. Yes. At Metro, right? No, Desert Sky. Desert Sky. So anybody from Arizona... Uh, she was at the Clinique counter at Desert Sky Mall, or what used to be Westridge when I was growing up. So, yep. <laughs> she was a Clinique girl, and so I got a lot of Clinique Happies samples and things from her. <laughs> Lots of bags. I was into the bags. I was just telling Tim a whole story about a bag <laughs> yeah. the other day. Literally, a little, whole thing about me and Barbie. It's a whole thing. But um, yeah, when I was in second grade, I was trying not to carry a backpack, but carry a Clinique bag because I thought it made me look cool cool and older yeah yep. so anyways loved right. my free clinique bags <laughs> all right anything else nope that's it for the episode recap you brought up barbie interested in watching the barbie movie yes me too yes i am i'm very I... into this press of her wearing all the outfits yeah i was a barbie kid so it's like i was full-blown i was uh, a barbie girl in a barbie world <laughs> Did you see that um, originally the the studio wanted them to Photoshop her feet so they were shaped like Barbie feet, and Margot Robbie and the and the director were like, "No, we're actually going to do this." Oh, I didn't see that. No. Yeah, so it's like she was like, "No," it was like that equivalent of doing her own stunts. She's like, "No, I'm going to have my feet that way," <laughs> you know. So I thought That's that funny. was kind of cool. Anyway, shout out. If you're listening to this in the future, I hope you watched the Barbie movie, and I hope it was great. All right, we'll see you in a bit. I did want to start by saying that I made a comment in my notes about this episode. That he missed. That I never said in the first part of this episode. And it was the fact that I underlined really hard the cannon is reloaded she is ready to blow in about another (laughs) nine months or so get ready boys that cannon's reloaded yep ready to dig let's do it so today just just shy of six months after its initial release we are finally digging into ginger's book becoming free indeed Okay. Between not being able to get a used copy for about two weeks, which I actually think was pretty quick. To be able to get a used copy, like, that is fast. And it was actually already fucked up. I'm like, somebody already did a number on this. (laughs) It was kind of surprising to me. Like, the spine was kind of, like, messed up and, like, Mm -hmm. ripped. And just 
not feeling urgency to cover it, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just wasn't all that inspired to do so back then. Even the first time I read the book, like the first time I read it, I only made it about two thirds of the way through. I just wasn't feeling very motivated. Mm-hmm. And lots of other creators were covering it at the time. So I just, I don't know. It just wasn't that important to me, especially considering my lack of enthusiasm for it yeah. at the time. Well, you've talked about it too. Like you've never considered this as a platform to be like breaking news. Like that's never been a thing. Yeah, like that's not like, that's not my bag. I'm not trying to be like the first reporter on the scene. Like that's just not my, like it's fine. Like I'm, I'm fine covering things when I, you know, it's just, it's okay. Like right. if you look at our Instagram, like in the moment, like when I'm not like the one that's like sharing news necessarily, right. that's not my thing. You didn't have your left hand to your ear going, Whitney Salgado here on the scene. No. 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 Not in your cards. Okay. But after seeing Jill in Shiny Happy People, I finally felt the tiniest inkling to revisit the book after I'd read about two thirds of it. Mm-hmm. But even then, it it literally it took me over a month to pull the trigger because <laughs> here we are. I don't know. Something about this whole thing has just felt like a little bit more of a grind for some reason. Okay. Maybe it's all the Bible quotes. <laughs> I was going to say, do you feel like it's the content? Maybe, yeah, like, I, and we'll kind of talk about that as I get through it. But it was just kind of, it was like almost like a tough sell to myself to finally <laughs> do this. Yeah. But we're finally doing it. And just to note, so the majority of what I'm about to talk about is from the book, but there are a few things that are in reference from her press tour. I think if I remember correctly, like as I did my stuff, I kind of re- I kind of reference when it's in a um, interview okay. from the tour, but just either way, it's from both book and press tour. We would expect nothing less from the dig. Yes. Yep. So in the very first sentence of the book, in the introduction, she says that she first had the idea to write this book all the way back in 2017 when she and her now husband Jeremy... Well, and he was at the time, too. But um, her husband, Jeremy, attended an ATI conference, and many friends and people she had grown up with were not only not there, but some had left Christianity altogether. Okay. Just recently, probably about, like, you know, a month ago, like, a little bit after Shiny Happy People premiered, she said that she was actually approached and asked to participate in the docuseries, but that she declined it. And she said, quote, from my perspective, I really wanted to make sure that I was able to share my story in my own words and in my own timing. So that's why I wrote Becoming Free Indeed. Good old plug there. <laughs> it was to share some of some of my journey out of IBLP's teachings. I wanted to be able to share it in a way that was like God honoring and hopefully sharing my story in a balanced way. So between this quote and also knowing how far back we kind of heard the first something, you know, first heard that something was in the works mm-hmm. and in turn how far back they may have contacted her about it to see if she would participate. I don't think it's crazy to think that she jumped on this as soon as possible to get ahead of it all. Right. In fact, if you remember 
originally it had been said that the documentary was expected at the beginning of this year. And then it came about six months later in June. Mm -hmm. But so her book coming out at the end of January was very close to that original timeline. So it makes sense. It all kind of lines up. If it was like, yeah. Yeah. That's like, maybe she had this idea, but as soon as she was approached about this document, she's like, oh, fuck, I got to get on on it. it." Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. She also mentioned she was excited to hear what Jill had to say in the docuseries. And it just kind of leaves me wondering what she ended up thinking of it all. Right. I'm sure she was totally on board with all of the anti-IBLP and anti bill gothard parts of it but i do wonder how she felt about the kind of like family tea aspect of it all since she she really shies away from that part Mm -hmm. herself so and you said in the book like there was a lot of speaking against bill gothard but very careful wording about the family oh very it was just like my parents were trying to do the best for us and actually I'll just, I guess I'll just address it now since you brought it up. I was going to have a whole section where I was going to kind of prepare, like compare some mm-hmm. things between her and Jill, but I actually ultimately ended up deciding I'm going to wait for Jill's book and then we're going to mm, do a that's, comparison. I feel like that's a yeah. good one. Yeah. So, but just in general, she, it's just very like, she, she mentions her parents as little as possible. And when she does, it's very, they were just trying to do the best. They always pointed me towards God and that's kind of it. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying it's her job to, like, light her parents on fire. Not everybody is comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. But it, there is a distinct difference. <laughs> right, right, right. the point. So, the end of the introduction in her book focuses on how this is not a tell-all, which she was very clear mm-hmm. about even leading up to the release of the book. So, it originally came out because Snarkers caught it on amazon right and it was like i don't know if it was the next day i can't remember now or or the day after that 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 she put out the video of like the this is the hardest thing i've ever had Mm. to do you know or whatever but to her credit from the very beginning she was like this is not a tell-all like she's always Mm. been very forward about that fact and i remember you saying like temper your expectations this isn't going to be like an expose you know at the end of the day i i was always still ex- <laughs> there's that part of there's this part of me that kind of no matter what the kids do if it kind of pisses off jim bob i'm for it you know <laughs> so even if it's not about her parents there's still this aspect of if she's talking about the thing that they brought her up in there's still even if she's like, my parents were wonderful. There's still some shit. I mean, there's still some fucking, like, she's saying that the thing you taught her is fucking bullshit. Yeah, that's true. So there's always that part to it. But she very is just like, that's, it's, oh, my parents were wonderful. Correct. This isn't about, this isn't a tell all. But rather, she describes it as her theological memoir. In chapter one, she talks about how her faith has changed drastically over the years, but says, quote, but first I need to make something clear. I am not deconstructing my faith. She talks of how deconstruction is a popular term in Christian circles and describes it as a movement where people decide their childhood belief systems, belief systems aren't for them anymore and abandon all religious beliefs. That they have torn them down, 
but never rebuilt any kind of faith. She immediately points to Joshua Harris as an example of this. Okay. Which is funny, if you remember, because when her book came out, and I didn't have a copy of it yet, yeah. just a week before I had done the then deep dive, now dig, about Joshua Harris. So mm-hmm. the timing of it was really funny at right. the time. So she kind of summarizes Joshua Harris's story and labels him the leader of the deconstruction movement. Which I don't think he would label himself that. Right. But that's what she's calling him. Which do you feel like the way that she put it was kind of like... Derogatory. <laughs> yeah. Like was yeah. it kind of throwing shade? Was oh, it kind absolutely. of villainizing? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. She, much like a huge portion of the Christian community, now uses him as a cautionary tale of what too, like, I say like too many questions (laughs) regarding your faith can result in. So her, and I remember talking about that in that deep dive where I was just like, unfortunately, he'll just become an example. That's exactly what I said. I remember being like, this will just be like, this is what happens when you Mm -hmm. start to question things or have thoughts of your own. Right. And here we are. Yep. So her next order of business is to separate herself from that as much as possible. (laughs) While she acknowledges some similarities between them like both coming from a conservative background, being in the public eye, and realizing as an adult aspects of their Christian upbringing and understanding were insufficient, she says that today she and Joshua Harris could not be more different. Hmm. Enter the word disentanglement. (laughs) How do you feel about that word? Well, let's get into that, this whole thing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Before we get into her verbiage, I want to first discuss deconstruction. Okay. At its base, like the base definition of it in a way, it's the act of breaking something down and analyzing it. But the thing about that word in a religious context is that to different people, it holds a different meaning. Okay. Based on kind of like where they have seen other people land on the spectrum of religion after having done it. Okay. So you have those who just look at it from a method standpoint, meaning this is just what you call it because that's what you're doing. You're analyzing your belief system piece by piece. Doesn't really matter the outcome. It's the method. So that's the word. Okay. Then some seed is completely stepping away from faith because that's what they've seen happen. So that to them, that's what it is. Right. And then there's those who see it as leaving behind certain aspects of systems because of that analyzing, but not necessarily abandoning faith in its entirety. Okay. So back when this was all very fresh, back in early February, um, in our Instagram stories, I posed a question asking what deconstruction meant to all of you guys. Mm Mm-hmm. I asked if you viewed it as leaving a faith entirely or if you viewed it as a form of reevaluation that sometimes kind or slash usually however you want to look at it leads to leaving dogma and legalism behind. Mm-hmm. So I went back into my stories archives to be able to pull the stats 
and 24% of the votes defined it as leaving faith entirely, while 76% voted it was just an evaluation of your faith that usually slash sometimes leads to abandoning dogma and legalism. Okay. So we had a, like back at that time, our audience size was like 6,000. We're at like almost 60,000 now. So it is there. And also that entire audience size isn't on Instagram stories. Mm, but just yeah. either way, that was the stats of the time. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to see kind of how you guys like fell with that. I think it's pretty clear that Ginger is expressing that she falls into the it means leaving faith entirely camp. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she wants to get as far away from that word as possible. <laughs> it's a dirty word to her almost, yeah, you know. definitely. Mm-hmm. Even if there are people who have deconstructed and ultimately found themselves kind of building back up to a different faith system, she wants nothing to do with the word because of the ones who deconstruct and don't do yeah. that. So, she had to come up with her own word. And disentangling was it because i also feel if she's trying to stay in there and she's her and her husband are trying to be like a mega pastor couple they don't want to alienate any of those people from buying her book yeah exactly yeah by using that dirty word you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah ginger said she's come to understand the christianity of her childhood had elements of truth tangled up with false teachings and that she spent the last eight years unthreading truth from error. Later in the book, she uses a story about a very young Jeremy, age two or three, as an analogy for this. Apparently, Jeremy got into some sort of putty to play with and he took it with him to bed that night. Like he was squeezing it and having fun with it. He takes it to bed. When he woke up in the morning, it was completely stuck in his hair and to his scalp. But because it wasn't just in the hair, but also stuck to the scalp as well, his mother couldn't just shave his hair off. Right. So she poured olive oil over his head to soften it. And over the course of the entirety of the day, she slowly unthreaded his hair from the putty. Oh. When she heard this story from her mother-in-law... She felt that it was a description of her faith journey. His scalp was the truth of the gospel, (laughs) and the putty stuck to it was the errors. (laughs) We're re-oiling our faith. (laughs) Yes. Lubing it up, you know. (laughs) And it took patience to untangle the two. And olive oil. Yes. She's totally forgetting that olive oil is a vital part of the disentanglement process. Yeah. See, she went with like a thread theme. She could have gone like an olive theme. Exactly. I She's love like, the fucking we're getting olive. down to the pit <laughs> of our faith. We're getting down to the real salt of the issue. Exactly. You know? So I guess maybe shaving the head would have been like deconstructing. <laughs> yeah yeah those evil deconstructors would have just shaved his head but or or would have been scalping the fucking kid <laughs> since she said it was stuck to the scalp and That's she said true. that the scalp was like the gospel so i'm gonna go with scalping 
would be the same as deconstructing because you know like more dramatic and we know they like drama right i'm really losing the metaphor (laughs) (laughs) so we're only eight pages into her book and there's already undertones of there's a right and wrong way to question your beliefs and my way is the right way sure sounds like it i think even saying undertones is actually kind of generous it's pretty out there (laughs) yeah like Yeah. yeah The reason I even posted that poll in my stories on the definition of deconstruction to begin with is because Joshua Harris made a post directed at Ginger. Clearly because she had called him out by name as the wrong way to do it in her book. The photo he posted was the meme from the office with the whole like, corporate needs you to find the difference between these two pictures, right? And she says they're the same picture. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in his meme, the two things are deconstruction and disentangling. Mm -hmm. And then his caption read, It takes a lot of courage to challenge the standards of your family and church. Ginger Volo, I applaud you for sharing your story. There will always be people who say you've gone too far or not far enough in your questioning. Just do you and be free. Side note, like... I kind of wonder how she feels if she ever got to read that and be like, oh, he's being more supportive of me when I kind of like fucking dragged him. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I kind of wonder like what she thought were like, yeah. I was like, this is wrong. And he's like, hey, people are going to say you're doing it right and wrong from both mm-hmm. sides. But, you know, whatever fucking do you. Yeah. I kind of wonder if that made her feel like, ooh, or if she was did. like, or if she's just like, whatever. Or if she never saw it, she may have never seen it. Right. Well, I think it, in my time, being in a religious group like my faith was super personal so like i bristled when like other people like wanted to ask a bunch of questions which happened i think it was like that piety of like are you as are you as righteous as i am like it kind of felt that way i never got questioned because i think everybody knew i was like (laughs) on the fringe yeah but i like i bristled hard just because i'm like it's none of your fucking business it isn't, yeah. And even in that arena where I think there's a going back to like the community aspect, like there's so much about like share it with me and I'll share you with Mont and and we'll both bond over the fact that like these things that like strengthened our beliefs and blah blah blah. Like I didn't want to do that. Because this it's all a you? fucking story. If you yeah. can sell it like you're like, here's my testimony. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about you, it's about me. <laughs> so so I just remember being glued to the comment section that night of his post. Some of it was kind of snarky and funny, but a lot of it was actually really interesting conversation. Oh. Like one comment was... You On know, the internet? <laughs> well, I mean, it's still like there's still people that are snarking, but I still thought it was interesting to like watch their replies and stuff. So for example, one comment, and I'm actually really glad... I was able to, because I actually was posting screenshots of this in real time on our pod Insta stories. Mm -hmm. I went back to his page now and he's deleted it. And I get the vibe that he didn't delete it because he doesn't want it there. But I think he like posts things initially and then to keep like an aesthetic, he deletes (laughs) things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like or whatever. So it's not there anymore. So I'm glad I had it in my stories to refer to. But like someone was like, well, you deconstructed and she disentangled and look where the two of you are now. 
obviously being like she's doing again like the she's doing it right and you're doing it wrong mm-hmm. type thing to which joshua harris replied oh my friend don't assume you know where anyone is or where the story will end and he put like Zing. a piece like a peace sign like you mm-hmm. know like whatever another comment made me chuckle too Josh was responding to someone who, like, the thread, like, the thread, like, the kind of, like, the topic was Mm -hmm. that they don't know anyone who uses the word deconstruction who haven't left faith entirely. And he said, quote, I also think it's important that people have the freedom to reverse course and go back to a different point if they want. Change back. Change their mind. D deconstruct, retangle, <laughs> haha, whatever. I just kind of thought retangle was funny. <laughs> retangle was pretty good. <laughs> but it speaks to the idea that just because you've broken down and evaluated where you came from doesn't mean you can't eventually find something else in faith mm-hmm. of faith, you know, in the future. And once again, it's nobody else's business. Yeah, everybody's like, so fucking caught up on it. Yeah. Right. So again, his point is, it's the same thing because the process is the same, even if you land in a different place. That's where his meme comes from. Mm -hmm. Like, he's like, it's the same shit, whether you, you know, because of the process of it all. But clearly, Ginger felt the need to differentiate herself by creating a word that means always landing in a faith system. Every time, right away. You know, I think it was an economic move. Legit, like I feel like she was trying to avoid people that bristle at that term because it became big with people that oh, were leaving, no, yeah, you're right, yeah, you know, religious institutions. I think she was trying to avoid that because she didn't want people to not buy her book because it said uh, deconstruct, deconstruct, yeah. Ultimately, she's just trying to set herself apart, yeah, for whatever the fucking reason it is. She doesn't want to be associated with mm-hmm. that word. So as mentioned earlier, Ginger touched on a few things that she felt she and Joshua Harris had in common before making sure that, you know, you know that they're worlds apart now. (laughs) I found another similarity between the two. Okay. A couple of different times in the book, she refers back to growing up Duggar. It's all about relationships. The 2014 book she wrote with her three older sisters. In one of her press interviews for Becoming Free Indeed, when asked why she wrote the book, she said she felt a responsibility to, since she had shared the messaging of IBLP, particularly in Growing Up Duggar. In her book, she said, quote, For a girl who was barely out of her teenage years, I had a lot of confidence. I was sure I knew about a lot of topics. The older I get, the more I realize how little I actually knew and how hesitant I should have been to urge readers to avoid certain shows or musical genres. And then she kind of goes on to talk about how how many girls told them that they started wearing skirts like them, they planned to court rather than date, and stopped listening to rock music <laughs> because of the show and their book. Mm-hmm. I point that out because it's another similarity between her and Joshua Harris. Yep. She was 21 when that book came out. Mm-hmm. The same age he was when I Kissed, I Kissed Dating Goodbye came mm-hmm. out. Another example of these young kids or young adults, whatever the fuck you want to call them, with a platform who have an army of adults behind them 
happy to use them as a tool to promote their ideals too. And make money. Yep. Hmm? And much like Joshua Harris, she now regrets the messaging. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you got some similarities there that you don't quite want to, you want to put like a line in the sand, but it's like, yeah, there's some things here. And I think it just speaks to a greater thing is like, they're, they're so happy to push and allow these Mm -hmm. kids or whatever to be like, well, yeah, because it's what we agree. So yeah, here's a fucking book deal. Here's a platform. Mm -hmm. So... Next, I want to touch on some themes regarding her feelings and state of mind while growing up in IBLP. The first being her anxiety. Now, this poor girl, she she seems to clearly suffer from anxiety just anyway, Mm -hmm. which I can very much relate to. (laughs) I can't remember time I wasn't anxious. Um, I feel like I kind of came out of the womb that way. (laughs) From a young age, Ginger had a fear of weather stemming from an experience with the tornado warning. She'd shake with panic when hearing thunder for years afterward. Hmm. She worried all the time about family members getting cancer or just other various forms of sickness. So clearly, we see this is something that she struggled with since a very young age. And then... On top of that, she's raised in this shit show. <laughs> so, like, we have this, like, real... We have this whole fucking disaster brewing. Right. Like, can you... Like, Tim, can you imagine my my inherent exi- anxiety just, like, paired with subscribing to, like, that type of belief system? Right. And I it's be- just so based on fear already yeah and then you take that and you add anxiety to it and it's like great now i have something else i have to worry about (laughs) imagine the fucking mess i would be and then like here's ginger (laughs) no here's ginger Uh, i i'm just really lucky like i I keep thinking i'm really lucky that i never really bought into anything even though i had my own like stuff it's (laughs) like i think it was nature's way of throwing me a fucking bone it's like i was oddly sort of always confident or kind mm-hmm. of sure of myself and like eh, i don't know if i don't know if i believe that yeah so I'm, I'm very lucky in that sense so as if her own baseline anxiety wasn't bad enough the teachings of iblp just made it even worse of course if she was in the car with someone and they turned on the music that had drums she believed she would die in a car accident for disobeying the rules about music jeez even the family outings to play broomball, which we just very recently covered, Fridays mm-hmm. and Saturdays, left her anxious and worried that they'd get in a car accident on the way because she was supposed to be spending her time in a more God-honoring way. Well, I mean, there was boys that were wearing shirtless, like sleeveless I shirts. Mean, we saw the evidence. We saw some legs. Some of the girls were wearing pants. There like, were things happening yeah. at this uh, broomball. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just people from IBLP. More like groom ball. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> wow. I'm impressed. So this next quote, it makes me feel incredibly sad for her. Because she's she's saying this from a pre, like a present perspective in writing the book. Mm-hmm. And not just like, a, oh, this is a, what I thought back then. Right. She said, quote, I was terrified of the weather and sickness because I feared death. And at the foundation of these fears 
was a truth about my identity. I did not love God. Like, she's not saying, oh, that's what I thought back then. It was right. the now being like, you know what the problem was? I didn't love God. Interesting. So, to be clear, she does go on to talk later in the book, like a little bit after this, about realizing IBLP's teachings, creating some of her fears and anxieties. But I still feel like she's, like, almost shaming herself in a way for having them. Mm. Like, oh, you're scared. You must not love. You must not love God enough. Right. So immediately after this, she goes into a story of how, at 14 years old, she called herself a Christian, but was terrified that she didn't truly love Jesus. So she went to Michelle in tears. Michelle's really on a roll here. <laughs> Last week, Jamesy Bug went to her for his like bowling mm-hmm. shoes being too tight. Now she's got fucking uh, Ginger going to her. She's like, God, I got a mom she so is, hard. She is on a roll. That mother of the year. Reloaded cannon. <laughs> so she goes to Michelle in tears, telling her she didn't think she genuinely loved God. And that she felt she was performing or following the status quo. Which is funny because, like, I don't know. IBLP is sort of an entire fucking performance as it is. Oh, yeah. Remember the whole, like, smile, you know. um, Don't be a glum Christian. Remember that? (laughs) Yeah. Are you glum or something, huh, glummy? (laughs) Maybe it's because everything in their life is a fucking show. But... Another sad quote for you all. She says, I was tired of living this way, trying to be a Christian without God's help. It was draining and I was exhausted. My religious tank was empty. I realized that I had been wrestling with these feelings for about a year, but was just too embarrassed to tell anyone. I was consumed with worry about what they would think. They saw me as a Christian, a good kid. My pride did not want to let me admit that I had been putting on a hypocritical show, but I couldn't stand to exist in that hypocrisy anymore. Isn't that fucking sad? It is. And I feel like specifically Mexican Catholics have something really similar where I kind of hit a point that wasn't as maybe not as thought out and like, quantified and put into words as much but i feel like i hit that point too where like everyone says that doing this or being a part of this group should bring you joy and like security Mm -hmm. but it's like when you hear when it's all about look at the horrible things that are going to happen to you if you do this and this and this i hit a point where like i got disenfranchised by that because i'm like Why is everything just, if you do this, you're a horrible person? Like, where's all this good stuff that they were talking about? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's kind of what that feels like. Like, she already had anxiety, and now it was like, hey, if you do all these things, you're going to be bad. Now she feels like she can't get in a goddamn car because she heard drums once. Give me a break, I know. But it's like, please tell me what Ginger Duggar was doing that was so bad at the age of 14 that she was some massive hypocrite. Like, it's fucking preposterous. Remember, for me, I was going to confess that I left a dirty cup in my room. Well, that's what this feels like. Yeah, It exactly. feels the same. Yeah. 
So she cried out to God and asked him to save her from her sin. Because it's like, you know, what's her sin? She didn't fucking fold the laundry. I remember how she was in charge of the laundry. <laughs> Did she not fold all the fucking polos yesterday? Like, what's her fucking sin at the time? At 14 years old. Yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous. And she says that her life changed that day. There and it I, is. There's the key. Remember, yep. there's the key to having a testimony is that it has to be like, nope, day. this gigantic yeah. sea change in what I experience. Yeah. But like how much of it was like she'd been feeling inadequate all this time mm-hmm. and having all this anxiety and feeling like everyone around her was doing it better than her. Right. And then finally just releasing it out into the open maybe just telling her mother mm-hmm. like how much of that was what helped make you feel better right and of course she'll say that god changed her that day but i'm just like maybe you finally just un- like unloaded a massive anxiety and you felt better from it right right you know yeah. it's just you got something off your chest exactly mhm so she says she made progress after that but that the fear wasn't totally gone. And this is where she begins to talk more in depth about realizing that the teachings of IBLP had kind of created the fear. Okay. She was scared to take, just an example, she was scared to take communion because she felt that there were sins that maybe she wasn't remembering or realized. Which we know she had to have picked up on from things like how they say that being sick could be a sign of stepping out from under the umbrella, which we talked about in the authority episode. Yeah. And, you know, like, you're not obeying your authority. Like, if you're sick, oh, have you maybe done something? You know, like, there's always that that question. But it leads people to this place where they constantly think that they're missing something. Right. Some sin that they didn't even know that they committed. They I can mean, They can never be good enough. I mean, she was in a room with people that were dancing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Can Some you get turned... can you get contact damnation <laughs> from the dancing from of the people kids dancing in, the in your school? room? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, bad things in your life are attributed to sin, but then even when everything is seemingly okay, still you're left in this place of worry that you're missing something, and that mm. it's you know what I mean. One of my favorite. Jean-Luc Picard quotes is that sometimes you can do everything right and still lose. That's, that's not this. that's not being bad. That's life. Like yeah. that happens. You can do everything right and still fail. Absolutely. So I think that's kind of the sad cycle of a lot of these systems that we're seeing because it can turn into something that is completely outside of your control but it's and your you influence. But yep. you are so caught up in the fact that it potentially was your fault that it keeps you subordinate. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it drives you insane with anxiety and, mm-hmm. and and like wonder and second guessing yourself. Right. Yep. So one final theme over her years in IBLP was her self-righteousness. Despite it causing her massive anxiety and fear... She, of course, truly thought that she knew the key to success in life because that's exactly how Bill sells it. Mm -hmm. She found comfort in the absolutes and saw life as, quote, a series of deposits and withdrawals. So you deposit the exact lifestyle that Bill taught you to. You withdraw health, money, a good husband, 
and godly kids. Right. Anyone speaking out against IBLP or living just differently, she felt bad for and that she felt that they were blind to the truth, thinking they don't understand, they don't know what I know, they aren't as fortunate as I am. Mm-hmm. So this whole thing, it caused her massive anxiety and guilt, but, you know, she's very fortunate, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. To grow up in IBLP re- royalty. Yes, so <laughs> fortunate, you know. Yeah. I, I, I'm dying on the inside, but I'm very lucky. Right. Now I want to transition into talking about the first things that made her begin to question things. I, but actually, um, I kind of think... That's sort of, I don't know. I think it's more, I don't know if you can say question things, but just more things that she took notice of. Okay. So when Jessa began courting Ben, or Bin, if you're a Duggar, (laughs) Ginger served as their chaperone. And since Bin's family lived a few hours away, she would often third wheel it with them on road trips and weekends to stay at the Seawald's home. Apparently, those long drives included a lot of talk of scripture. Rip, roar, and date. <laughs> like, you know, Emma, rip, roar, and date. I mean, there's nothing I would rather do on a date is a uh, fucking talk scripture. <laughs> I guess to be fair, like, I might talk about fucking fundies and other people would be like, great, that sounds awesome. So <laughs> I guess everybody has their things, but scripture is not one of mine. <laughs> So Ginger took notice that Ben would quote entire passages from the Bible to make a point rather than select verses. This was completely a foreign idea to her, as we know Bill Gothard loves to quote verses from several different books to talk about specific topics. Right. Not to mention twisting, but just, <laughs> just, <laughs> that's a side point at this yeah. point. But, um, yeah, so just this idea of she was just like he said this whole pat, you know, this whole part and he like that that speak for itself. Mm-hmm. So the pastor of the Seawalds church preached in the same fashion, walking through the Bible rather than by topic, and she took notice of this and realized that their perspective of the Bible was entirely different than theirs and what she had grown up in. Okay. She also came to really love and enjoy the Seawald family, but was almost confused. Like, she doesn't say confused, but I'm saying confused. Okay. Because the women worked, they wore pants, and they listened to music that I guess had, is it one in three? Yep. That had a one in three, I I wrote that, but I was like, am I saying this right? That had a one in three backbeat. She said, quote, So much of their lifestyle and decisions didn't line up with how I thought Christians ought to live. But then here she was thinking that they're good people. So this is confusing to her, right? Right. Well, everything I'm taught means they should be damned to hell and be awful people. (laughs) But I actually like them and think they're nice and good people. You know, yeah. yeah. She also said, quote, I wasn't yet ready to question everything I believed. Not even close. But I was ready to consider the possibility that someone who didn't know anything about IBLP or Bill Gothard could be truly following Jesus and living a meaningful, joyful, God-honoring life. I feel like that quote is such an interesting analysis of like your perception of people outside of your circle. 
finally got kind of blown up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Because once again, it's that same idea. Like, oh, wait, my entire life I've been told that people that do these things are awful. Wait, but they're not awful. They're just people. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing I think on that level is I love Pete Holmes who's a comedian and a writer. He has his own podcast. I've referenced it on here before. Pete, if you're listening, I love you, buddy. Um, <laughs> he's not listening. Um, <laughs> Usually I'm the one that goes, he's not listening. <laughs> but Pete, loved your show. Love you. Um, so one of the things he talks about is um, he realized that his parents had never really been around anybody that was gay. And he had two really good friends. And when they met his mom and dad were like, Oh my God, he was so nice. It was so nice to talk to him and hang out. And Pete was like, yeah, because he's just a person like (laughs) he's there. And, and that's what he was having to fight against. There was that they had been told X amount of things in their faith, their religion that they were in that people that were this, are th- we are this. Are yeah. these kinds of people. And then when they met him, they're like, oh, wow. He's like, yeah, because he's just a person. Yeah, exactly. So I think she was dealing with this too, where, mm-hmm. wait, they're wearing jeans and they're not awful. <laughs> they're yeah. not eating babies because they're wearing <laughs> jeans. Yeah. yeah. So on one level, I appreciate the fact that you can look at it and say, okay, I'm seeing that this is a thing. But then, God, it just makes me real sad. It is, yeah. So now we're going to fast forward, and she's introduced to Jeremy via Ben and Jessa. It's actually kind of funny, because I think Lego probably has a deeper disdain for Jeremy (laughs) rather than Ben. I mean, okay, he hates Derek the most. I was going to say. But between Ben and Jeremy, I think he hates Jeremy more. (laughs) And it's just kind of funny, because Ben is actually the one that kind of got this all started. Ben. Ben. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So, just kind of funny. Um, I think he deeply regrets letting anyone outside IBLP marry his daughters. Mm -hmm. But that actually leaves me in a place where I'm very concerned for the younger girls. Mm -hmm. Which is something we'll have to touch on in the future. But, yeah, makes me concerned. Anyhoozel. So, she's introduced to Jeremy. Long story short, because we will talk about this more in the future... I think it's more interesting to talk about this in detail when we're watching it all unfold on camera. Okay. So I don't want to get into the depths of it now, but she meets Jeremy and then Jim Bob is resistant to Jeremy at first. And before they can even move forward, he makes him watch 60 hours of IBLP conferences first. That actually ends up working against Lego because Ginger is actually very eager to discuss the seminars with Jeremy. And this gives him an easy in to point out things to her. (laughs) You know, when you're like literally being directed to watch this now, you can be like, oh, well, while I was watching this. So he starts to point out things or as Ginger said, quote, bravely upheld the Bible to show me why my beliefs were not biblical. Wow. Honey, I hate to tell you, but your beliefs are not biblical. Well, the thing that that line um, just paints an image in my head. Like, I just, that's why I had to include it. I just, I imagine a really dramatic oil painting 
of Jeremy like holding an open Bible <laughs> up in the air with almost like a pained look on his face. Right. With like Lego <laughs> looking on in horror and defeat in the background. Oh my goodness. Almost like like a like a boss being defeated in a video game. <laughs> but like dramatic religious oil painting style. Boss, yeah. <laughs> Can you see what's floating in my brain? Oh yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. like I just wanted to include that line because literally as I read that, that's what I imagined. It was just like bravely holding up the Bible to me and tell me what's not biblical. <laughs> So this is the part of the book where I truly start to become disinterested. <laughs> oh, God. Kind of the reason why I was initially very resistant to this dig, and I think I just kept putting it off. It becomes a series of, here is what Bill Gothard taught, here's mm-hmm. how it's harmful, which I usually agree with what she's saying, you know, as far as it being harmful. And then there's this, uh, here's what the Bible says, or here's what my pastor said, or here's what Jeremy pointed out, and or any of those various things. Okay. It's just that, like, take different teachings, repeat. Yeah. That same sort of pattern, and repeat. So lots of Bible verses that kind of make my ADD kick into high gear, make me zone out, you know. <laughs> A lot of teachings about IBLP that we've already know and kind of covered. I think if you don't know a lot about IBLP, maybe reading her book, it's maybe more interesting. Mm-hmm. But when you do, it just kind of like feels like it drags on. <laughs> and, and I guess her feelings on them with her new mindset are the part that's sort of different and might be more interesting. But honestly, I still got bored. <laughs> It's it's just like the Bible never says you can't wear pants and the Bible never said that dating is bad. It's like, yeah, like we know, you know, we know. She's trying to take you through the journey that she took yeah, and you're exactly. like, yeah, honey, we knew all of this. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not trying to discount that the fact that it's a huge mm-hmm. revelation to her. Of course. I'm just saying it doesn't make for the most riveting reading, <laughs> if you know what I mean, you know. <laughs> So it's like, I'm glad for you, honey. But like, we all knew that it wasn't like, we all knew. <laughs> you were like, you were like that meme of the black cat where it's like when you, when you show your, when you show your parents like a funny meme and they start like giving you a life lesson, it's that cat that just looks super disinterested. That was <laughs> yeah, you. Pretty yeah. much. But I did read every word though. Give myself a little pat on the back for that. <laughs> It takes I might, a lot. I might touch on them when they're relevant to specific dig topics in the future, since I like more of a streamlined topic structure. Touching on various things in tiny bits just kind of isn't really my style. But if I had to sum it up all in a nutshell, she emphasized not following man-made rules. Okay. Not being more strict than the Bible referring back to the Bible always and leaving superstition behind. So that's my cliff notes of her breaking down like, this is what he taught and this is what I learned. You know, and you got like, it whatever. done in a lot less than however yeah. many chapters it took her yeah, to do that. Yeah, it was honestly my, the parts of the book that I enjoyed were like the first two, three chapters and the, the last two chapters. That's There's a whole funny. middle part there. I was like, okay. Okay. So, so far we've covered what led to her disentangling. Now we're going to cover where she's at now after having disentangled. I just don't know why she hates the movie Tangled so much. Yeah, you know. Are you ready for my hot take? Yes. 
infinitely better movie than Frozen. Oh no, I agree. I I don't infinitely think that's a hot take. Is it a hot take? It's a hot take with the the like kids, children. Yeah, but Tangled was such a better movie. Anyway, it is a sorry. Good movie. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so, um, I feel, and this is where okay. This is where if you're one of those people who are like, stick to the facts. We don't need your opinion. Most most of this is my opinion going forward. My- like that one lady that commented <laughs> at the beginning of us recording no, there, this there's podcast. A, there's been a couple. But it's also the same ones that also say we hate all Christians. So, you know, it's yeah, all the true. same bag of people. But <laughs> so from here, it's, it's a bit more analytical. So mm-hmm. if you were here just to hear her book chapter by chapter, by this isn't probably it. Like we're, we're breaking things down and analyzing it from here yeah. on out. So I feel like if you look at her book at face value, a lot of people might come away with a really positive outlook. Like, okay. good for her. Look how far she's come. And just, I don't see all these positive. Okay. Okay. So on the topic, let's, let's, let's discuss some positives, some good things. Okay. First. So I am genuinely happy for her. That she seems to be living a life with less anxiety. That's good. So for the sake of her mental health alone, I'm glad that whatever it is, however so, what the fuck ever, has led her to, it like, in a positive direction in this particular context. Mm-hmm. You're less anxious? Fucking happy for you, Jin Jin, as we found out we called her that one time. <laughs> I'm also glad she seems to be more in touch with her feelings because we know that is definitely stifled within not, IPLP. Not promoted. Yeah. Yes. And also that she was able to specifically pinpoint and correlate some of some of those feelings, kind of like cause and effect style, to right. things that she had been brought up in and could leave behind in her past. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, I guess maybe it's only two things. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, I got maybe if I had longer to think about. Maybe if I had longer to think, I might come up with more. But that's all I got for right now. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I thought there was more. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe honestly, maybe I'd come up with more later. But I don't. Yeah. Anyways, so I'm gonna have to just move on. But even then, honestly, though, there's kind of like an asterisk like with it mm-hmm. because I still feel like she's like weirdly shamey of herself for having certain feelings back then. Tell me that doesn't scream IBLP. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, and that just shows you like this was something that this was a system that she was in during some really formative years like these are years where you're learning how your self voice how you talk to your self talk is going to be your self image what you gain your own worth out of there's those are those years that these things are formed and she existed in those systems so she created habits so now that she's out of it those habits die hard. Absolutely. And even though she's not in that system anymore, she still knows I need to feel bad about these things. Mm-hmm. It's sad. But she, because she does, she kind of mixes this like, oh, well, it got a lot better after I like appealed to God almost. But mixing with, but I didn't lo- love God enough. So that's kind of why I felt that. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. It's yeah. it's still, it's shamey. 
Shamey going Jamie. Is Shamey like Famey's half sister? <laughs> via one of Terry's like herpes ridden rides, you know, in the nineties. Is that uh, Shamey? Famey and Shamey. We- Shamey going shame. Um okay, so there that was my couple of positives. But overall, I came away from this book feeling sad. Sad, yeah. Like I said, at face value, you you might see her taking control of her life and leaving rules behind, you know. But when you really pay close attention, I still find some things that just make me feel sad for her. Mm -hmm. Like her definition of freedom, for example, comes up several different places in the book. On page seven, just before she starts on about how she's not deconstructing, she's disentangling. She says, quote, I am not in search of total freedom from rules and biblical morals. Two pages later, she's referring to what she felt like the free ginger movement was expecting of her. <laughs> okay. And she says, quote, that I would find freedom, in quotations, and the good life, in quotations, that I would find freedom and the good life by rejecting all rules commitments family ties and religious convictions much like joshua harris she's got to throw him under that bus again of course and others in the deconstruction movement this next part about freedom also touches on another idea that deeply bothers me and that's a complete lack of trust in oneself she says I've come to see that unfettered freedom does not produce the good life. In the end, it often leads to more bondage. Why? Because it puts me in charge of my life, and I am not the best judge of what is best for me. That feels very IBLP. Very. If given limitless options and the responsibility of figuring out what is going to make me truly happy... Fucking wild... I struggle to, to commit to anything. I have the same problem when I'm trying to pick a show on Netflix. I just keep scrolling, always wondering if there's a better show out there. In the case of life's big decisions, the question becomes, is there a better job, home, or relationship? I'm left to constantly second guess my choices. Fucking a lot to unpack here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Where the fuck do we start? So first of all, we're once again faced with this very short-sighted idea that freedom means you will do anything and everything if given the chance. (laughs) The same idea that we've discussed previously Mm -hmm. about how people act like if you don't have religion, you're just going to like be out there just like committing murder on the reg. Yeah. You know, it's the same idea. I mean, what's there to stop you? Yeah. You know? How how do you not, yeah. without religion, that this idea that rules and or religion are the only possible thing in life that keep people in line. Mm-hmm. Nobody can have, you know, it within themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's only rules and religion. Yep. I guess it's a miracle that you and I haven't fucking committed murder. That's true. How has there not been a double homicide already, you know? What is it the teller says? Somebody asked him, the guy from Penn and Teller, yeah. they asked him how, how 
what is it like how does he keep himself being an atheist how do you keep keep yourself from murdering murdering. he said i murder as much as i'd like to and that's none which is none yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's just so narrow-minded and we see this exact same idea playing out time and time again as we talk about this Mm -hmm. and it never seems to bother me any less because i every time (laughs) i find it just so fucking preposterous it's so ridiculous and, and by the way, Ginger, having freedom in life is nothing like trying to find something on Netflix. Of course. Comparing it to that just speaks volumes to just how little she trusts herself. And I and I just find I find that so sad. She's been brought up to not only just like not trust herself, and even though she says that she's in this much better place, right? She's free. She's free indeed, right? But she still doesn't have any sort of confidence in herself or her own decision-making outside of being told what to do or having a set of rules and guidelines. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that you can't have things that are an influence your life, something you refer to in life. But, I mean, do all these people, even people listening, if you're into the Bible and that's your thing, you're into a religion, do you Mm -hmm. really believe that without it you'd be out there fucking running amok? Like, I'm, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't you have some sort of idea that when yourself, that, you know, like, I could fucking handle not being... An awful person. <laughs> yeah. Like... Yeah. I also, looking through the lens of just this family, I feel like it, all of the umbrellas and all of the dumb Bill Gothard platitudes that get put out there are made to lessen people's critical thinking skills absolutely and i i always relate it to the fact that when you're younger you assume that adults have it all figured out and then when you finally get to the age that they're at you're like and you realize it's a dire situation in the world yeah and you realize that everybody's just fucking making it up as they go and what that looks like is that you have to use critical thinking skills in a scenario where you have to make a life decision and you have to say what's better in the long term, what's better for my family, what's better for me. You just get to points where you have to make life decisions with the caveat that you are never ever going to be 100% sure of the way to go. And your critical thinking skills are there so you can weigh pros and cons and make a decision. Absolutely. It's never going to be 100% sure because that's very, very rare. Mm-hmm. First of all, Nate, it's very, it's human to mm-hmm. sometimes wonder about these things. Mm-hmm. Not everyone makes a decision and it instantly is at peace with it forever and always and you're never going to wonder ever again. <laughs> that's not fucking reality. It happens. It's part of life. And also, just like on a side note, if this is still something that is like really deeply troubling you, Ginger, your anxiety may not be as behind you as you think it is. Definitely feels that way. And I say this as someone who has anxiety and can relate, but I think there's a difference where I'm just like, yep, yep, that's still this, where I think she's Mm -hmm. just like, oh, well, I found this piece through my new, my new place. (laughs) Yeah. I just need to refer to this all the time and then I'll be able to make these decisions. Right. That's still very black and white thinking to think you'll you need rules to be able to handle anything in life. Mm-hmm. 
And it's funny because she talks so much about IBLP being black and white and sort of easy because of the rules. But she's still doing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know that we see the same sentiment in a lot of different texts and things that because you're a sinner, you can't trust yourself. In fact, she even says, I am messed up because of sin and no amount of good behavior is going to fix that. I need freedom from myself, not freedom from the world around me. And I know that's a common theme in religion. It's, it's this just like, well, you're a sinner. So it's like, you're always going to be a sinner and you're mm-hmm. always going to be wrong. But that's just one of those things that I always disagree with. Right. Doesn't matter where I'm hearing it from, who I'm hearing it from. Mm-hmm. I all I will always think that walking around and labeling, like having this label on yourself, that you're just a messed up sinner, is it all helpful or productive to life? Yeah, <laughs> I just I'm not into it. Yeah, well, um, it feels like in in the like the therapist or like psychology circles you hear about like negative self talk. Yes. It's like the ultimate version yes. of negative self-talk. You because are born nothing... with this sin and you will never not be a sinful piece of shit. Yep. And <laughs> yeah, nothing you can do will ever Make put that away. It. Yep. Mm-hmm. It is. You're right. It's the ultimate negative self-talk. So on this topic of freedom and lack or trust or confidence in herself, I think Ginger... I think she's about as free as she can handle right now. Mm. Again, on the surface, it looks like huge leaps and bounds, strides, when you focus specifically on these outward freak show aspects of IBLP. Correct. And and those are big in their own way because what's an everyday thing for us is fucking life-changing for her. Right. So, for example... The ability to choose the number of kids you want to have? Fucking huge! Yeah. So I get that part. And then there's the stuff like how she says Jeremy doesn't expect her to be happy and smiling all the time. Huge for her, but for the rest of us... We're like, yeah, we nobody's just, happy it, all exactly. the time. It just... For, for We're all like, okay, this just showcases how fucking low the bar is. <laughs> But that's because of her background. Right. So, yes, it's a huge step for you personally, but it's still kind of fucking crumbs Yeah. in the big picture of life, you know? Mm-hmm. But I just think the big picture is probably just too overwhelming or too many steps away from where she currently is. Yeah. But really, when it comes to it, She's just kind of shaved off some of those outward things. It, it kind of ends up being like how much you shave off that kind of categorizes you from like full-blown fundy to fundy light to more mainstream evangelical. It's just kind of those outward things. Right. But at the core, it's still very much the same. Mm-hmm. It's just those outward parts that show more obviously and that once you remove some of them, depending on how much or like whatever, you just blend in more. It's easily digestible now. Yes. Even though the core is still the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like, oh, now you're not in skirts. Oh, now you're like 
not quite as isolated. Oh, now you can choose how many children you have. You're not walking Correct. around with fucking 20 kids. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Which they referenced in the documentary when they talked about how they're trying to package the things that they believe in a more modern, easily digestible package. Yeah, like Jen in that said, same book, different cover. Yeah. And it's true. Mm Mm-hmm. So both Jen and Jeremy are Calvinists. And actually, it's not that uncommon for full-blown fundies when they're kind of making their way out to kind of land and switch to Calvinism. Okay. In fact, Tia from Shiny Happy People went from IBLP to Calvinism, led by her husband, before... Her um, headship. And which she rever- she refers to Calvinism as her velvet prison before eventually getting out entirely. Okay. So that's just the beginning to sort of paint the picture of someone who's been through the same exact... Mm-hmm. Literally the exact same... Yeah. Like wave through, you know, she's been on the same ride. Do you think Mildred thinks that's the religion I would go to because I really like Calvin and Hobbes? Yes. She she's says like, it's just a bunch of people that like that, she's uh, like, that boy and his toy. But she thinks that other people are in Hobbinism. That's <laughs> pretty good. Yep. So even more specifically, like worrisome, is the church that Ginger is a part of and the pastor that leads it. Okay. Cannot even begin to get into this today because it's its own dig for sure down the road. I can't. But it's Grace Community Church led by John MacArthur. So it's it's still incredibly patriarchal, sexist, supportive of abusers while publicly, very publicly condemning the abused. Anti-LGBTQ, surprising to no one. Um, and very oddly obsessed with railing against Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just say that because I find humor and irony in, in any and all denominations and religions pointing the fingers at each other. <laughs> I don't give the fuck who you are. I think it's funny and ironic. Mm. Because like I said before, it's like you all think you're it. So when everybody's yeah. like literally putting into their sermons to like talk about somebody else, I'm like, you could just preach your own shit and not have to spend your time talking against somebody. It's comical to me. It's the same thing that Whitney and I believe in with political commercials, where it's like, instead of spending all this time, like, with the devious music talking about your opponent, why don't you tell me what's good about (laughs) you? Yes, yes. Why don't you tell me what good things you have on the docket, not, well, this person. Did you know that (laughs) Senator blah, blah, blah is wanting to take all of your children? Like, you know, it's like that type of, like. And eat them. Yeah. Like, yeah. It it just it feels like a fucking silly waste. Just talk about your own shit. Get out of everybody. And what's mm-hmm. funny is like you're usually pointing the finger at them as something is bad. You probably got your own fucking bullshit CD shit under the fucking oh, yeah. cut, like too. So it's yeah. like shut the fuck up. <laughs> so anyways, can you see how I feel about that? Um yeah. So r- oddly, they work in railing against Catholicism as much as possible. So okay. I just threw that in there because to me it's funny. So that is the cliffiest of cliff notes on her new church and why it's concerning. But it's also worth noting just how intertwined or tangled up. There it is. Her new church is within her book and her entire life. Okay. 
First of all, right smack on the cover of her book under the title it reads, By Ginger Duggar Volo, with Corey Williams. In her introduction, she says, I began to write this book. I realized that I needed help. I am not a professional writer. We know. Um, <laughs> I'm not an expert on the Bible. I know what I believe and what I want to say, but I'm not always the best at expressing it. So I asked a friend of mine, Corey Williams, to help. He's a gifted writer and a student of the Bible who has helped me articulate what I believe in a way that I hope is helpful for you. So who is this Corey Williams? Why, he is the chief communications officer of the Master's Seminary. The seminary of John MacArthur, also where Ginger's husband Jeremy attends. Okay. So all these biblical references and connections made throughout the book aren't from the mind of Ginger alone. Or if we're going with my opinion at all, but whatever, (laughs) not from the mind of Ginger alone. They're straight from a MacArthur approved source. Yeah. She also mentions John MacArthur by name in the book and references her pastor several times as well. It's the whole, like, you don't want to go, like, name dropping, you know, too much. You'll overdo it. You don't want to be boastful. Yeah. So you got to, like, flip back and forth a little, you know, keep it subtle. So basically, her book is one of MacArthur's theology with Ginger's face on the cover and her anxiety in the pages Mm -hmm. to sell the story. Yep. If the Duggars and TLC were PR for Bill Gothard, Ginger herself is now PR for John MacArthur. Yep. Um, Also, it's still kind of like when she wrote that first book with her sisters back in 2014, where she's like, oh, I regret that now. And it's like she was spreading this much. I'm like, now you're just spreading somebody else's message. (laughs) You know, like literally using his chief communications officer. Yeah. Like it's even more like. It's a it's a propaganda piece. You're literally using one of his communications yeah. people. Like it's kind of even <laughs> anyways. Oh my god. Um I I also don't think that Ginger sees how small her world still is because it looks different now. Yeah. She references how she's friends with people from church that, you know, they have tattoos and they have wild hair and some maybe even drink alcohol. She's so brave. And that while she doesn't do those things herself necessarily, they have the important things in common. And I can see why for her, this feels monumental. Okay. Because she grew up in a situation where obviously we know very controlled, but also everyone looked the same. Yeah. So these differences Mm -hmm. are like super novel to her and to her a representation of acceptance. And like I get that idea until, you know, but I feel like she doesn't see that she's accepting them because she knows that they share her beliefs. Because they're straight and they don't like Catholics. (laughs) Um. Like, would it be the same if they were a full-blown outsider? Right. I know for her, like, it's a huge step because any kind of difference wasn't allowed before. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm just pointing out that I think she's more comfortable with this supposed diversity because it's still within her safe bubble. Yeah. So to her, it's like, oh, look at all this. But it's like, oh, honey, it's, you know, (laughs) like she was so isolated before that it doesn't feel it doesn't take much for her to feel like everything's just like so (laughs) different now, you know. And another thing that I think plays into this is the fact that she doesn't see her bubble as a bubble because it's so big now. Right. She specifically mentions that a Sunday session, like a Sunday service at her, at Grace Community, is bigger than the entire annual conference attendance at ATI. Because it's a fucking mega church, you know? <laughs> like, that's why. Yeah. So, this is freedom to her Mm -hmm. it's like look at all these people i see them every week multiple times a week even Mm -hmm. not just a couple times a year (laughs) look at how big this all is look at this giant community we look different from each other you know people listen to music with drums (laughs) this is about as free as she can fathom while still feeling safe right oh yeah is my takeaway Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this, like it may not be the freedom to the rest of us, but to her, this is fucking as good as it gets. Right. This is the ultimate freedom mm-hmm. while still feeling the same things that bring her comfort and safety. Right. I also don't feel like Ginger sees just how influenced she was. In what way? I, I think she really thinks she's thinking for herself. And, and don't get me wrong, I absolutely understand that all of us are influenced by our environments, people in our lives. But my point with her is that I don't think she's taken bits and pieces of information from different people and different places and different sources and, you know, analyzed it, digested it all on her own and come to her own conclusions. I feel like the closest she got to that was when she was picking up on those little differences by watching Ben and the Seawalds. Okay. And then after that, though, it was all very heavily influenced by Jeremy. Now, I I understand that that comes with the flip side of like, well, at least he helped her get out of IBLP, you know. I get it. But I I still wish that she would have been able to have the opportunity to explore things more on her own. So she traded one control system for another one that had a better package on the outside. She traded the headship of Jim Bob to Jeremy and Bill Gothard for John MacArthur. Uh Uh-huh. That's what it boils down to. And... um. You know, it's like, and so instead of being able to explore these things on her own, she was this newly married woman in a situation where she'd been taught to, she was still with an IBLP mindset at the time with this authority figure. So she's newly married and she'd been taught to follow her husband. And then Jeremy kind of solely leads the way mm-hmm. through, even if it's out of IBLP, he was still the one leading the way. Right. She knew that this type of thought process was coming. So in her book, she says, um, 
quote, some may not appreciate that I'm speaking out on this topic. Others could assume the worst of my motives, or they will say that my husband Jeremy is to blame. They'll say I should never have married an outsider, a man who, though a Christian and a pastor, didn't believe all the same things I grew up believing. They will assume he convinced me to change my beliefs. While Jeremy walked me through this journey, he always pointed me back to God's word, and those words changed my heart. All Jeremy did was encourage me to examine scripture, think for myself, and come to my own conclusions. Yet no matter how much I insist that this is my own journey, some won't be convinced that these are my my, my convictions. Hmm. So take that quote however you want it. I stand in wishing that she could have explored more on her, you know, mm-hmm. alone on her own. Um, she never really, ha- you know, she never really had any other path other, like, no plan besides Calvinism. If you heard that Mildred was attacking, attacking um, a piece of paper. Whitney's dig packet from last week. From last week, yep, yep. That was what that was. If you could hear it, if you could hear it, it was very funny. Just having a whole thing. I was trying to keep talking. I was yeah, like, this is getting know. difficult. Oh, yeah. Anyways, so she never really had any other path other than Calvinism. I mean, first of all, she was never going to land anywhere outside of conservative Christian like denomination. Right? Right, <laughs> like, let's right. be real. It was a bridge too far. But she also never got to explore anything, like I said, besides Calvinism. Because first it was via Ben, then Jeremy, mm-hmm. and then deeper, John MacArthur. Because I just want to point out that besides going to the seminary, Jeremy is also in the college ministry for Grace Community. Oh. Very all. Surprise, surprise. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like. That was the that was the that was it. Yeah, she, um, you know, like when you watched old cartoons and there was like those wind up soldiers that they felt like they used in all these cartoons, but you never actually fucking saw in real life. (laughs) I felt like she got like wound up and placed in this straight path to like where she is now. Mm -hmm. She's like, and like to her in her head, she's like, oh look, I'm going forward. Look at me, I'm going here. But it's this complete straight line set before her, like these men that placed her down right? in this like line. It's just like, this is where we're going now. So to her, like she thinks she's doing it all herself. But it's like, you got kind of set up for this. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you it, still didn't think that much on your own. She really thinks that she's thinking. Yeah. For herself. Mm-hmm. That's it, my take. People are obviously free to have their own take. Free indeed, you know, but that's my, that's my take. <laughs> yeah. It feels, um, there's a podcast that I listened to that's a guy that went through, um, alcohol treatment like years ago. And he talked about how the things he loved about the program he went through was the ability to have people that have dealt with the same addiction to be there as a support structure. Um, he appreciated having somebody that was kind of holding him accountable, like in his sponsor. But the thing 
the thing that he didn't like about his program was the religious side of it. And his thing across all of it is he was like, I get it. I get why people like that part of it. He was like, it just wasn't for me. But he said, I think a lot of that came from the idea that like, I used to be controlled and give my life to this substance. And I need to fill that with something else. There needs to be an idea. And it can be anything. It doesn't have to be religion. There's a a comedian that had same substance issues, went through treatment, is completely sober, and now golf is his thing. And he's like all over the place. But it was like, I this is my thing that I can kind of focus on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of what this reminds me of is that like she went through she couldn't go cold turkey without she something. couldn't go yeah. cold turkey from some sort of guiding idea you know what i mean mm-hmm. yep. and it was facilitated by these other people exactly i wish i could remember where i saw it but it, it was a long time ago it was when all of this was like during the initial release of her book i think it may have been a comment section i'm not really sure but i just remember someone saying that deconstruction wasn't just changing what they believed it was how they believed Mm, explain and i think that's an excellent way to put it and i just i just feel like ginger is very stuck in the what she can't Mm -hmm. it's too overwhelming for her to go down into the like this is how i do it but it's just like right what what like you know like oh okay so it's not this now now it's this this is what i believe now yeah that's where I think she's at. And um, of, co- of course, she could always do more work and land somewhere else in the future. Nothing is out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. I just find it unlikely, given her husband is so deep in it himself. Yeah. And he wants to be a fucking mega church pastor himself within the system. Yeah. And attends their school, you know, and all that. So I I don't exactly have high hopes that she will dig even deeper and find her own way without being set up and wound up by these other men. (laughs) Yeah. But if she does, I will be thrilled for her and happy to be proven Mm -hmm. wrong. So taking it back to the beginning, remember how I said that in less than 10, 10 pages into the book, she was already given very strong, like, my way is the right way Mm -hmm. vibes. Well, she got more direct as the book went on. In her final chapter, more specifically, the second to last page of the book, she says, quote, If the end of your disentangling journey is anything other than Jesus, you've done it wrong. Damn, that one's... She went right out and said (laughs) it. If your life is centered on anything or anyone other than him, then you need to start disentangling. Well, so, your life is centered around Mildred, so do need we to need start, to disentangle yes, that? Yes, right now. So there's no undertone, undertones. It's very direct. Oh, yeah. And this time, she hits you with a double whammy, though. So if you don't end up exactly where she ended up, you're doing it wrong. But also, now, she's adding in, if you aren't centered on the exact same thing as me in your current life or system or whatever it may be, you need to start working on that putty in your hair now. So what you're saying is, shamey gon' shame. Yep. <laughs> yep. So 
So she's an expert now, you know? Well, yeah. She knows where you need to be. And even though it took her like 23 years-ish herself to even start to get to the point of questioning, you know, you need to be doing it now. You need to start right now if you're not right there. Yep. She's like children's shampoo, no tangles. Merp. Pretty funny. (laughs) So keeping this in mind, I want to read you something that she said in one of her press interviews for the book. Okay. Setting this up a little, this was her talking in regards to her change in convictions that are different from the ones instilled in her childhood by her parents. Here we go. The quote. People can say what they want about your changes and how you got there. But ultimately, we've just sought to be really gracious and hopefully patient, like with my family, and share those things. But also realize I understand we can be in totally different places and come to different conclusions. And at the end of the day, they will go on their journey and I am on mine. And each of us can arrive in different places at different times. And I understand that that's just the case. So I have to say, I listened to several of her interviews for her press tour after reading her book in its entirety, and this fucking struck a chord in me. Okay. So when she decides to do things differently than her parents, it's okay that they're in different places from each other, and at different times, it's totally fine. She, you know, she can just accept that. Right. But in her book, she's telling everybody, you're doing it wrong if you're not doing it exactly like her. Correct. So it's just funny to me, which means not funny at all in woman speak. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just funny to see her give herself and her family that grace. But nobody but not else. E- not extend that same grace to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Specifically how she went in on Joshua Harris and other people who have deconstructed at the start of her book. And that is how Ginger Duggar Volo is free-ish, free-ish. in GD. <laughs> Look at you. <sighs> so I can finally cross that off my dig list. 135. So I guess now my list would be 134 if I cross this off. Okay. So finally did it. Think of all the stuff that you've read to make this podcast go (laughs) so much this is why i don't listen to any other podcasts or consume Mm -hmm. anything fucking else besides like two other things so i'm like i consume so much to do this and i'm like i can't handle anymore especially things on the same topic like i always think about how like i don't really consume a lot of things in the same sphere as us but i'm like it's because i cannot take anymore yeah like you know like i do enough just doing this Mm -hmm. i can't take anymore yeah but yeah, so, yeah, I like, it's it's just, it's this mix of, like, cool, I'm glad you, sh- you these other things are gone from your life, but I'm like, you don't, the big picture, she's not. You jumped into the same thing, just a different flavor. Yep. Yeah. Like, she's, she's just literally, she's in the same league, she's just on a different team. Yeah, that's a pretty apropos. Like, she didn't even, that's it. Like, she mm-hmm. switched teams, but it's like, you're in the same Still league. Still doing the same thing. Yep. Yep. Wow. 
do you feel post like reading that like how do you think lego hair thinks of that book well it's funny because specifically in her press interviews and i was gonna have a whole section about this but it's like it was getting so long as it is but there's a whole section where like are, like in interviews people were just like do you think you're pre-? and she literally is like i think they'll read it i think they want to know my story and i'm like i don't think they give a fuck about your story ginger no they want to know how bad you make them look. that's like, it that's exactly like, what it is and i'm like sadly i'm like i don't think they give two shits about what your story in life Mm-mm. is or like the actual damage they caused you. It's like mm-hmm. how fucking bad do we look? Which which is I felt was very articulated in the documentary. Yes. It was very articulated over the fact that like the level of information that gets out of the family pod is so like railed against and it, because it keeps people from airing dirty laundry. And it's like, you know he's pissed that she's even doing this because her speaking out against something that he actively raised her and brought her mm-hmm. into, there's no way that doesn't piss him off. Yeah. So imagine how fucking livid he is with Jill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't wait to do Jill's book. And because, like I said, this got long enough as it is, but there there are already major points, even without reading Jill's book. There are comparisons I want to make now between the two of them, yeah. but I'm like, this is already its whole own thing. I, I can't wait to add it on to the thoughts I already have to with mm-hmm. actually read. Oh, it's I'm fucking ready. <laughs> I'm ready for yep. September for many reasons, but... Um, yeah, I'm excited for I'm really excited for her. Like, getting through Shiny shiny People made me feel like, okay, maybe I can finally do Ginger's book. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. and I have to cover it before Agree. Jill's. So, yep. finally did it. It's a wild one. Yeah. Anything else, my dear? Nope, I am <laughs> You are done. done. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on this dig. As always, feel free to buy us a pickle or a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash diggingupthedug. Send us a message at diggingupthedugers at gmail.com. Enjoy our episode visuals and Mildred-related stuff on Instagram at diggingupthedugerspod. And if you'd like to send us some snail mail, or we have a P.O. Box, P.O. Box 5973, Glendale, Arizona, 85312. Now, uh, cashmere, like not... What am I trying to say? Cashmere lists. I mean, we're th- I it, it appears that way. I don't know for a fact. Yeah, it is a cashmere-free zone. It's unfortunate. Recently. So, well, FYI, the cannons reloaded, boys and girls. We'll see you next week. <laughs>